Now in the twenty and fourth day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting and with sackcloth and earth upon them. And the seed of Israel separated themselves from all the strangers that stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read in the book of the law of the Lord, their God, one fourth part of the day. And another fourth part they confessed and worshipped the Lord their God. Skip down to the second half of verse 5. The, the, the priests say to the people, Stand up and bless the Lord your God forever and ever. And blessed be thy glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. Thou, even thou, art Lord alone. Thou hast made the heavens, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all the seas and all that is therein. And thou preservest them all, and the host of heaven worshipeth thee. Okay, now turn with me to First Chronicles chapter 16. This is also uh, recorded in the Psalms as well. One of David's Psalms. First Chronicles 16. We'll start in verse 23 and read through verse 28. This is David bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to its resting place. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. Show forth from day to day His salvation. Declare His glory among the heathen, His marvelous works among all nations. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He also is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Glory and honor are in His presence. Strength and gladness are in His place. Give unto the Lord, ye kindreds of the people. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Oh, verse 29, give unto the Lord glory. And it says, worship the Lord in the beauty of His holiness. We're going to talk about worship in the Lord and what true worship is. And we read in those two passages, okay, um, the people in Ezra's day and Nehemiah's day were coming back, they were reading from the law of the Lord. They were confessing their sins and they were ascribing greatness to the Lord and commanded to worship the Lord. And here in David's day, where the ark is being brought back to its resting place and he's giving glory, he says, all the gods of the nations are idols, but you made the heavens. You're the one true living God. And we're commanded to worship the Lord in the beauty of His holiness. And so there's two things there. We see God for His acts, for His goodness, for His works that He's shown to the children of men, like your salvation and my salvation, our deliverance from sin, our blessings in our lives, the healings and different things we've seen Him do for our country and our lives are different things we've seen. We thank the Lord for His acts and we worship Him for those things. But even more so, we're to worship the Lord for who He is. To see Him in His glory. To see Him in His holiness. For just the, the person, I know He's not a person, He's not a man, but seeing God for who He is in His godliness, in His majesty, in His glory. And that is something that as we progress in Christ, and I pray we're all progressing in Christ, or what are we doing here? You know what I mean? Let's just, I'll see you in heaven. We're just going back to life and do whatever we want to do. We're here because... Because we love the Lord. We're here because we've been <coughs> bought by His blood. We've been made His sons and daughters and made a family. And He is revealing Himself to us and making us more like Himself. We're becoming more like Jesus and we're coming to know Him more, right? Those things are taking place. So more like a Christ-like character in our own character. I must decrease, He must increase. More of Jesus, less of me. Day by day, thank God that is taking place. Amen? And also seeing the Lord more and more. There's times where it's like we get a fresh new glimpse of the Lord. There's times it's just kind of 
plugging away day by day. We're growing in the Lord slowly. Sometimes there's this big revelation personally or into a church. But as we progress in Christ, I believe we're going to come more, more to worship and honor and adore the Lord just for who He is. Yes, we worship Him and thank Him and praise Him for His acts and of kindness and mighty acts of power that He shows to us. But just for worshiping Him, uh, coming to worship Him more and more just for who He is. And the Bible says that, uh, and I give an example of this, when, when Jesus was preaching one time, and we talk about this story all the time, He was by the seaside and there was such a crowd of people that He asked Peter, He got on Peter's boat, and said, Simon, push out a little bit. And he taught the people from the boat. So he's right offshore, and the people are there, and he's teaching them. And then when he's through, he says to Peter, Simon, Peter, Peter, launch out your boat and let down your nets for a catch, basically. So now, let's go out in a little deeper water. And Peter's replies, you know, the, the story, right? We talk about it all the time. Lord, we've told all night and taken nothing. But nevertheless, at your word, I'll let down the net. And so he does it, and when, when he does that, he says there's such a great uh, multitude of fish that are enclosed in the net that, that they, the boat starts to sink, the nets start to break. They, they, they call for James and John to come help them, their fishing buddies, and, and the boats are sinking, they're so filled with fish. Now that would be an act of God, right? That would be a miracle. Was that a tremendous blessing for their lives? Yes, it would. It had, would have had to been a blessing. They're fishermen. Right? They didn't have to catch anything all night, and now they got boats full, they're sinking. They got plenty of fish, financial blessing, food to eat. It was an act of God. It shows the kindness and the power and the goodness of God. He does care for the temporal. But there was something much more that the Lord wanted to show Peter. And it says, when Peter, Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees. So he doesn't start cleaning fish right away. When he saw the miracle, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. What is this saying? This is showing a revelation of, to Simon Peter of who he is. Not just what he can do. It's showing him who he is. And, and Peter's realizing in this moment that he didn't preach a sermon. He didn't say anything about sin or Peter's sin. But he realized the holiness of God in his own sinful nature in light of this holy God, and it caused him to have this act of falling down upon his knees at Jesus' knees, and he, he professes his, his own sin and confesses Christ as Lord. And so, I want to talk about worship for however many weeks, two or three, however long it takes us to go through this. Um, God created and then redeemed fallen men, like us right here in this room, Okay? So that men would know Him, walk with Him, uh, represent Him on the earth before others that don't know Him. Okay, But He also created us to worship Him and redeemed us to worship Him. And for all, that's something we're going to do for all eternity. We're not going to go on mission trips for all eternity. You know what I mean? When I have church services like this for all eternity... There's things that we won't we won't have music practice probably for all eternity and things like that. Or go to the, do the Foxy's outreach or go to the prisons for all of eternity. But we will worship the Lord forever and ever and ever. In this life, we can be worshipers of God and He's called us to be. And it's something that will continue on through eternity. And we won't get tired of it. It won't get old and it won't get stale. And it, We're created in the image of God 
to worship the Lord. Okay, in the image of this great God, to worship our great God and our Savior. We've been washed in the blood of Jesus. We've been made part of His family. And a big part of that is that we would be worshipers of the Lord. Now, true worship and true worshipers can be rare. And it, sh- it shouldn't be. But even within the house of God, even among the people that truly are saved, I think true worship of the Lord and true worshipers can be rare. Uh, many are saved, but I wonder how few actually are worshipers. I, I believe a lot of people read their Bible. A lot of go to church when it's time to sing. They stand and sing. But I wonder how many, and I would say God help me, okay? And I'm praying this for our church, and I'm praying it for myself. That whatever comes from these few sermons on worship, that God would do something in our hearts to make us, wherever we are now, to make us more worshipers of the Lord in spirit and in truth. That we would truly be worshipers of the Lord. It pleases God. It honors God. We're redeemed to be worshipers of the Lord. David said, worship the Lord in the beauty of His holiness. The Israelites, where they confessed sins, they read the law, and they were said, stand up and worship this. Stand up and worship your God. Worship the Lord. And so, God has redeemed us. He's called us. He's equipped us. But He's also privileged us to be worshipers. That is a privilege to worship God. A lost world is in blindness, in, in spiritual darkness, knows nothing of true worship of the true living God. But it's a privilege of ours to worship the Lord that made us and that saved us. And I want to talk maybe in these few weeks about and understand, help to understand from the Scriptures what is true worship, what, it, what worship is and what it isn't. Okay? What worship is and what it isn't. And I want to start by giving a definition here. Now, the definition pretty much is, is uh, constant. You know, you'll find different, different, different definitions when you read your Bible, Hebrew and Greek, Old Testament, New Testament, but the theme that runs through all of them, except for one, which we're going to talk about in a minute, the common theme of defining worship in all of its different tenses, okay, is this, Pros- to prostrate. It means like to lay down flat. To do homage to bow down to, to fall down flat. Now just picture all these in your mind. This, this is the definitions when you read them. Prostrate oneself to do homage, to bow down to, to fall down flat, to do reverence, humble adoration, voluntary honor. I think that's very important. Voluntary honor. Okay? And also, the last definition, and this is actually in the, the, the de- definition, it means to, to kiss. But it's not like a romantic kiss. It's not like uh, between a husband and wife or something like this, because that could be perverted in our minds, okay? It, it literally says in the Bible dictionary, to kiss like a dog licking his master's hand. So just picture that. There's nothing romantic about that. But what there is, what there is in that is is the humility. There is the devotion. You know, picturing the dog to kiss, to kiss like a dog licking his master's hand. And the, the first time that the, that the definition is used in the Bible is in Isaiah, I mean, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 22. And you don't have to turn there, but we're gonna, I'm going to read from Genesis 22, 1 and 2. And this is where 
Abraham was called by the Lord to offer up his son Isaac. First time it's used in the whole Bible, worship, in any tense, okay? And I'm just going to read it to you. You're taking notes, Genesis 21, 21 and 2, and also verse 5. It came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham, or test him. Didn't tempt him with sin, he tested his faith. And said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. He said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. And Abraham said unto his young men, I skipped a few verses, verse 5, said unto his men, Abide here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. This is the first time it's used in the Bible. Abraham considered it an act of worship. God considered it an act of worship. Well, what was actually taking place? It was a sacrifice unto the Lord. A very costly sacrifice. It was a giving of all that was dear in Abraham's heart. His son Isaac that he long awaited for. The promised child and represented all the, the future blessings of God that God said is going to come through your son Isaac. And now he's requiring him to give him as a burnt sacrifice. That means he has to die. Okay? And Abraham said, I and the lad are going to go worship the Lord. You guys stay here. And I and the lad are going to come back. And he tells us in, what does he mean by that? He's offering for a burnt sacrifice. How can he come back? Well, it says in in, uh, Hebrews 11 that Abraham had by faith, he believed that God was, he offered up his son Isaac, believing that God could raise him from the dead. That's amazing faith. I'm going to offer him to the Lord, but we're coming back. I and the lad are coming back. And he had faith that he could raise him from the dead. I just think it's interesting that this is the first time that the word worship is used. As I said, Abraham considered it an act of worship. It was planned. It was orderly. It wasn't just chaotic. Okay, It was, uh, it was a conscious choice. We're getting up. We're getting our donkeys. We're going to where he told us to go. We're going to go worship. When we're through, we're going to come back. And... And so in, in this, just in basic elements that we see right here, two things, that there is a worshiper, or worshipers, Abraham and Isaac in this instance, and there is an object of worship, or the one who's being worshipped. It's very simple. And that is the eternal God. That's Jehovah. Okay, there's the worshiper, and there's the object of worship, which is the Lord. The worshiper is always and only worshiping the one greater than himself. The dog licking the hand of his master, okay? Worshiping the one greater than himself. And so, um, there is different kinds of worship. There is idol worship, right? There is a vain worship. There is that which calls itself worship of the Lord, but it's really not. There is false worship of false gods. There is a nature worship and, and create creature worship. Let's look at this in Romans chapter 1 real quickly. Romans chapter 1, we all know the passage, starting in verse 21. Romans 1, 21, we'll read through 25. We could read the whole chapter, but just for now, this is what we're going to read. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like in the corruptible man, into birds and a four-footed beast and creeping things. Wherefore, God also <clears throat> gave them up to uncleanness 
through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. That's a false worship. Remember I said the definition of worship and I gave it to you, all those words that were similar. There's another definition of worship in the Bible and it deals with false worship. And it deals with uh, <clears throat> something where you're compelled, not, not voluntarily. And it literally means uh, almost like you're forced to worship. And the example uh, I was thinking of was, and this word is used in that, that word that I'm describing is used in Daniel when the, the whole, all the people were commanded, when, when Nebuchadnezzar the king set up the 90-foot statue in the plain of Dura, golden statue, and commanded everywhere, everywhere all the people, when they hear the sound of the music, to bow down and fall down and worship. It was a command. It was an outward force. They didn't have a choice. Of course, they did have a choice. Three Hebrews had a choice, and they didn't bow. My point is, that definition of that word worship, when you hear the music fall down and worship the image, is a different definition, and it means just what you would think. Something you're compelled to do. It's not voluntary. It's not a voluntary honor. And it actually, in definition, it says not pleasing. It's not pleasing to the Lord. Okay? And so, uh, that's a different type of worship. And we see things in the name of God, even in our day, and in churches that might have the name of worship, but it's not real worship. Okay? Not real worship. So we want to look at, at what it is and what it isn't. Okay? But true with all the false. There's false worship in the name of Jesus and there's false worship of false gods and there's false worship with, of, of creatures and nature. That's big in our day and big in a lot of days. Okay? Where people worship the creature and the creation. But in the midst of that, there is a true worship. It's a true worship. And the true worship is always going to be unto God. Okay, it's always going to be unto the Lord, and it's going to have the Lord Himself as the object of that worship. And I, I'm getting way ahead of myself, probably into next week or the next week. But I'm going to say this: we don't worship our worship. We don't worship the feeling we get when we're in church, and the goosebumps that we get when they play our favorite song. We don't worship uh, the fact that our hands shaking when we pray over somebody. We don't worship the mood. We don't. Wor- we worship God. True worship is of God. And it always has the Lord Himself as the sole object of our worship. Nobody else. Nothing else. And I'll just read this from Hebrews 1. And again, when He bringeth in the first begotten into the world, He saith, and let all the angels of God worship Him. Everybody's to worship Him. Jesus Christ, the first begotten. Okay? We're to worship the Lord. There should be no question about that. Uh, you can turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 4. We'll talk just a moment about the object of our worship. Matthew chapter 4. This is Jesus being tempted in the wilderness by Satan. He's fasted 40 days and nights. He's hungry. Satan comes and begins to tempt him. And the last temptation he gives is this. Matthew 4.9 And he saith unto him, All these things will I give thee. He looks at all, there's a high place and they look over the... the uh, the, you know, all the, the kingdoms of the world. He shows them to him in a moment. And he says, All these, Satan says to Jesus, All these I will give to thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. These are simple truths, but they're important truths. 
God has to be the active, uh, the object of our worship, and only Him. And it's written, and we're told this, and we're instructed this in the Word of God. I'll read another couple of scriptures to you. I'm going to be reading from Revelation 22 and chapter 19. I'll just read it. John saw, and I, John, saw these things and heard them. And when I heard them, I fell down to worship before the feet. Now, this is John. Fell down to worship before the feet of the angel which showed me these things. Then saith he unto me, See thou do it not. For I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren, the prophets, and of them that keep the sayings of this book. Worship God. Okay? Simple, but true and profound. And we need to latch on to it. Another verse. And I fell at his, at his feet to worship him. This is John again in Revelation 19. He saith unto me, See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So we see this uh, many times in the Bible, that worship is, is reserved for the Lord alone. True worship. It's reserved for God. It's only for God. It's only for Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. It's only for the Lord Jesus Christ. It's for the triune God that this Bible speaks about. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. It's for that God who sent His Son Jesus. It's reserved for Him alone. And it's only for Him alone. And God has called us and redeemed us from our sin to be worshipers of Him. Have fellowship with Him. Love Him. Commune with Him. Know Him. Walk with Him. Represent Him. But to worship Him. Amen? (laughs) To worship Him. And I would say this, that worship is the the only proper, proper response from fallen, fallible, sinful man, okay, back unto God. It's the only proper response. And what I mean by that is He's redeemed us. He created us. He's redeemed us. And He upholds all things by the Word of His power. I'm not the Creator. He's the Creator. He created me. I didn't send my Son to die for the world. He did. I would have been blind to that fact had He had not opened my eyes to that. Everything is about Him. And the Bible says that uh, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For Thou hast created all things and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. Does that include you? Yes. Does it include me? Yes. I was created for the pleasure of God. Only proper response from a fallen, sinful, fallible man who's been born again and his eyes opened spiritually to this truth and to his God and Savior washed in His blood is to worship Him. That's the proper response from a, a created man who's sinful in nature and unrighteous apart from the blood of Jesus back unto this God that is the one true living God. And Jesus told the woman at the well, and we'll study this next week, but He said, you worship, you know not what. We know what we worship. He says salvation is of the Jews. In other words, there's a lot of people I think going through life and they're worshiping their worship and they're worshiping the music and they're worshiping how they feel in a certain environment or group of people or whatever. And it's all under the heading of Christianity and worshiping Christ, but the Lord has nothing to do with it, much of it. It's false. Because the God of this Bible is not the focal point and not the center of it. He's not even there. He's not even present. We know God's omnipresent, but He's not manifest His presence in their service or in their what they call worship. We need to worship God. Okay? And I would say falling down prostrate before this God who saved us, giving voluntary honor 
to the Lord. That's the only proper response. Back unto the Lord. Now, I want to say this. I was talking about idol worship. We don't worship angels. Not that you do. I'm saying, I'm listing some things here. And that's not, I'm not talking about demons or, or uh, groves like they did. Worship Baal under the groves and every tree and nature. Work. We don't worship angels. We don't worship the things of God. We don't worship our Bibles. We don't worship our church, our pastor. We don't. We worship God. Okay? We worship God and His Son, Jesus Christ. Uh, we don't worship Christian objects and places and beautiful Christian things. They're wonderful. I thank the Lord for those. We don't worship the saints of God that have gone before us. We thank God for them. And I'm that we are to give honor to whom honors due. But the worship is reserved for the Lord. I'll give you an example. There was... Uh, you remember when the children of Israel were in the wilderness and they were grumbling and complaining. God sent these fiery serpents among them and they were biting them and the people were dying. And Moses, as he does, stands in the gap for the people. God tells him what to do. You take, make a serpent out of brass, put it on a pole, lift it up. comes to pass whenever anybody's bitten by one of these deadly serpents, when they look upon the serpent, they'll live. That is a type of Christ, a picture of Christ. It came to pass that whoever looked upon it lived. They didn't die of the snake bite. Jesus said, as Moses lifted up the serpent of the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Perfect picture. Sin was biting them. They looked on Him who was made sin, Jesus. Okay? And they were saved from the consequences of that sin. Now, why am I saying that? Because even a good thing, was that a good thing? It was of God. It was God's remedy. That, that physical brass serpent on a pole. 900 years later, in Hezekiah's day, the Bible tells us that, uh, that this was going on where they were actually worshiping this, this thing on the pole. They were worshiping this thing. It was become an idol to them. 900 years later, the Israelites in Hezekiah's day, and he, he destroyed it. He said, get rid of it. Grind it up because people were worshiping it, and uh, and they and it just shows how something that's good can become an act uh, uh, or an object, I guess you would say, of worship. It says he removed the high places, break the images, cut down the groves. That's all the idol worship. Break in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it and called it Nehushtan. And Nehushtan simply means a bronze thing. That's literally what it means. And they burned incense to it and worshipped it. And we kind of shake our heads, but that's showing something that God was of God. That'd be like worshipping your Bible. Worshipping your church. Worshipping your pastor. Worshipping a place where God met you sometime and did some great thing in your life. Worship the Lord. Worship the Lord. He's the one we're going to worship throughout all eternity. Lost men are in darkness, right? They don't understand. They know nothing of this. They can come to be saved and then become worshipers of the Lord. So they might fail to worship the Lord and would fail to worship the Lord, but we, as the redeemed of the Lord, should not and must not. God wants us to be worshipers, y'all. God wants us to be worshipers. I want to read uh, this Scripture from 1 Timothy. 6, speaking about Jesus Christ who is the blessed and only potentate. That means ruler, great authority, mighty, the only. 
Okay? Who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see. This is without, without faith, without coming through Christ, without the revelation of the Holy Ghost to show us Himself. Okay? No man can ever just walk into the presence of God. Oh, there He is. I see Him. Not going to happen. Okay? It says, nor can see to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. That's who we're to worship. That's who deserves to be worshipped. And so, it's reserved for Him. Let's not be those that, that fail to worship the Lord. Let's come on Sunday mornings and Sunday nights and Wednesday nights or wherever in our daily lives. Come prepared. Let's get our hearts right and ready and say, Lord, teach me. I don't even understand it. I pray some of us will... We'll get something from this and grow in our worship. But the Bible tells us that it, uh, that the, the 24... Uh, I'll just read this in Revelation 4, 9. And when those beasts give glory and honor... This is a scene in heaven. And thanks to Him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever, the four and twenty elders fall down before Him that sat on the throne and worship Him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord. Those 24 elders, most every Bible scholar says is representing the redeemed of the Lord. Old Testament saints, New Testament saints, the, those that are followers of the Lord. That's not angels there. That's people like you and me that have been redeemed by faith. And they're worshiping before the Lord forever and ever. And they're casting their crowns and they're worshiping before the Lord. Jesus Christ is God. He's the Son of God, right? And He is God. I and my Father are one. We believe no one of the Trinity is any less God than the other. They have their positions and places, but it's one Godhead. Okay? And Jesus Christ, because He is God, is worthy to be worshipped. Again, I'm stating some very simple, basic truths, but He is worthy to be worshipped. And He never refused worship on this earth. Have you ever thought about that? In other words, people came to Jesus. We're going to read some scriptures in a moment, and they worshiped him. He didn't say, Don't do it, don't do it. You know, that's like the angels in heaven to John. See thou do it not. Jesus didn't say, See thou do it not. He had lepers worship him, he had other people worship him, and he, he received it of them. Now, if he had not been God, that would have been very sinful of the Lord. It'd be sinful for me to receive worship or you to receive worship or the most godly saint on the planet to receive worship. It would be sinful for an angel to receive worship. But we're, we're, Jesus received it. In other words, He let it come. He didn't scold them. He didn't rebuke them. He didn't say, hold, 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 hold. I'm just a prophet like John the Baptist sent to you. I'm like Isaiah or one of these others. He didn't do that. He received it uh, from them because He is God. And he's worthy to be worshipped as God. Again, the, the, the scriptures tell us that uh, in Isaiah, about 800 years before Christ's first coming, that unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, his name shall be called what? The wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father. It blows my mind. I can't, still can't say I perfectly can rationalize it in my brain, but I totally believe it by faith. That the Son that's going to be born is the everlasting Father. You know what I'm saying? And the mighty God. He's worthy to be worshipped. Christ is worthy of our worship. And I want to just read some examples. I'm going to read them quickly. There are more. 
but examples where Jesus received worship from men like us. These are the wise men that came from the east when He was born. Okay, uh, And when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped Him. And they, when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto Him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And behold, here's another Scripture, behold, there came a leper and worshipped Him, saying, Lord, if Thou will, Thou can make me clean. Another Scripture, while He spake these things unto them, Behold, there came a certain ruler and worshipped him. This is Jairus, saying, My daughter is even now dead, but now come and lay thy hand upon her, and she shall live. Another scripture, when they were in the ship, they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth thou art the Son of God. One more. And as they went to tell the disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hail. And they came and held him, this is the disciples on resurrection morning. By, by the feet and worshipped Him. And so, He didn't in any of these cases or others say, no, 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 see thou do it not. That, that's, I'm, I'm God's Son, but I'm not God. I'm the Savior of the world, but I'm not God. I'm the promised Messiah, but I'm not God. He received it. He's God in the flesh. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Worship is reserved for God alone. And Christ, Jesus Christ, is the Lord. Amen? Now, if you'll think back to the definitions of worship, none of those definitions that I gave, excluding the, uh, I'm not talking about the false worship, the bowing down and so forth, none of those definitions of worship included the words or phrases of, of this. I'm just listing things songs, singing, music, feelings, proper, proper atmosphere, mood, a large crowd. A special building, emotions, feelings. It did, none of the definitions of worship included any of those things. Now, I will say this, that I do believe, and I think it's obvious from experience and from the Word of God, that, that true worship is, can be expressed in those ways. Okay? Can be expressed in those ways. But the definition of worship is not those things. When Abraham and Isaac said, I and the lad are going to go worship and they're going to come back. They didn't have music. They didn't have a certain mood. They didn't have a certain preacher. They didn't have a certain anything. They had them and God and the sacrifice they were going to bring to the Lord. And they did it by faith. Okay, True worship is going to be by faith in a true living God who's redeemed us. The definition did include falling down flat, bowing down to, doing homage to. You, you see a real humility, a voluntary honor where where you're laying down before the Lord. Okay? True worship will be, without doubt. So I want to, I want to make it clear that, to you that what I believe and what I believe the Bible teaches. We know the definition. I certainly believe that true worship to the Lord will be passionate. I, will, I think it will be expressed in our body. It can be expressed in singing and so forth. And it's going to involve the entire worshiper, the whole being of the, of the worshiper. I believe it will be all-consuming unto the Lord. Okay, heart, soul, mind, body, spirit, without question, worship to God is going to be passionate. It's going to involve our emotions. And our worship, true worship to God must be more than just a religious formalism. I don't believe that honors God at all. It must be more than an outward compulsion like Nebuchadnezzar says, when the music sounds, you better bow. It's a voluntary worship, voluntary honor. 
Okay? It's more than robotic movements. It's more than uh, robotic uh, ritualistic uh, words and phrases and so forth. The entire man, as I said, I believe is going to be involved in true worship to the Lord. And I believe, as I said, that worship is the only proper response. It's a response of adoration and reverence and homage back unto the Lord. It's going to be heartfelt. It's going to be emotional. It's going to be passionate. It's going to be overflowing from the heart of man. And uh, it's going to be genuine. But true worship does not originate with our feelings. True worship, nowhere do we see it originates with our emotions. In other words, some people think we only worshiped when I, when I got those goosebumps on the back of my neck. Or this certain, as I said, this certain song in the service. Or when this person speaks, you know, and the way their voice is, and the way they sing, and, and, and it just gets me into the, a mood of worship. I think that it's, there's confusing what our feelings and our emotions and so forth with what true worship is to God. It never originates with those things. It comes from the heart of the redeemed man and our spirit man back unto the Lord with real knowledge and understanding who I am as a sinner and who He is as God. And that revelation hits us and, and we worship the Lord. We begin to worship. So I, think, I believe it's, it's passionate, but I don't believe it originates with our passions or emotions. It comes from the spirit man worshiping the Lord. Amen? And so... Uh, it's not mindless, it's not robotic, but it's not uh, out of control in the sense that we have no control over our faculties and we just do whatever and call that worship too. We need to make sure it's spiritual. We need to be sure that it's led by the Lord. Uh, Jesus rebuked the, the Pharisees. He said, "This people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So there was an outward expression of saying the right things, but inwardly said they're full of dead men's bones. That wasn't real worship. That wasn't honoring to God. At the same time, you could be at the other end of the spectrum and be real passionate, overflowing and everything, and yet miss the Lord in that as well. You could be soulish. We could be sensual. We could be caught up in our, in our feelings and emotions. And again, true worship is not going to originate with that. It's going to come from the heart of the redeemed man. I just want to read this. David said, How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord. And I'm bringing this so close. O Lord of hosts, my soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. So do you, would you say he was passionate about the Lord and His worship? Absolutely. But it was, still, it was still reasonable. It was still biblical. It was still, he was overwhelmed with the Lord. You know what I'm saying? and not feelings or emotions. He says, My soul longeth even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. His body was like aching for the Lord. He wanted to come into God's presence and be with Him and to worship Him and to fall to His knees and lift His hands and give Him honor and to be with the Lord and fellowship with the Lord. Your loving kindness is better than life. He wanted to be with the Lord. So definitely it was going to be passionate. But it didn't start with, let me see if I can get my emotions stirred up and then I'll call that worship. He went with a knowledge of the Lord. He knew God. He wanted to know God more. He wanted to please God and honor Him with His worship. And he came before the Lord and the, and the Lord took over and He began to worship the Lord. He was longing for the Lord in this way. Our focus has to be, focus of our faith and, the, and our worship and the object of our faith and worship has to be the Lord Himself. 
Okay, the one eternal living God. We see Him by faith. And when we see Him by faith, y'all, when He reveals Himself to us individually, honestly, we can't help but be captivated by Him. We can't help but adore Him and to worship Him. That's what pleases Him. He wants to show Himself to us in that way. And He wants us in response to respond back to Him in awe and in reverence and yes, in love and voluntary honor and worship to the Lord. To fall before Him and adore Him. Just listen to this. Uh, This is John, the beloved, the Apostle. And I always think it's amazing because he walked with the Lord um, for roughly three years. He was the closest as far as a human being to Jesus on this earth. Saw Him, hung out with Him the most, spent the most time with Him. But when He saw Him in the book of Revelation, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day on the island of Patmos, and He sees the Lord. He sees Him in His glorified state. He sees Him how He is now, at the right hand of the Father. And He hears this voice saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, that what thou seest write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia unto Ephesus and so forth. And he goes, And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And when I saw Him, I fell at His feet as dead. Is that an act of worship? Yes. Falling down? You know what I mean? Just It's almost like you would say He couldn't help Himself. Right? He saw the Lord. And when He saw the Lord, He fell at His feet as dead. And He laid His right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I'm the first and the last. I'm He that lived that was dead. Behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. Have the keys of hell and of death. And so, He is beyond description. He is the words of the Bible try to describe Him to us. Eyes like flames of fire and voice of many waters, you know, and so forth. And yet, when John saw Him, he turned around to see the voice that was speaking to him, and he fell at His feet as dead. And he knew the Lord intimately. He walked with the Lord. And yet, this worship took place. He fell at His feet. And He's altogether lovely. Isaiah says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I I saw the Lord sitting on His throne. And His train filled the temple. He was high and lifted up. Now, think about this. Isaiah was a friend of King Uzziah. He had seen Uzziah sit on His throne. He had talked to him. When I saw the Lord sitting on His throne, He said, He, he fell at His feet as dead. He, he said the same thing. Woe is me. I'm unclean. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And, and He was a righteous man. He was a godly man. But this is a response. What I'm trying to get from these couple of Scriptures is just that it's a proper and really only response when by faith we see the Lord as He is. So don't you think we ought to make it an effort and a focal point of our lives, of our church, of our individual walk, to keep putting Jesus up on the throne spiritually, like by faith. I want to see You, Lord. I want to see You high and lifted up. I want to see You with Your train filling the temple. I want to see You and worship You in the beauty of Your holiness. Show me Yourself. Reveal Yourself to me. You know, give us glimpses, you know, and allow us to see Him. And then the response is going to be to worship the Lord. He's that pearl of great price. The man sold everything that he might buy that one pearl of great price. Everybody would have thought he was a fool. You sold everything for a pearl? Everything you own. Everything. You got a pearl. And the man said, yes. And I will do it again tomorrow. It's worth it. And and it says the kingdom of heaven is like that. Christ is worth it. To forsake all to have Him. And we worship Him. 
we fall before him. I'm going to close in, y'all. A.W. Tozer said, uh, and he was talking about this, this topic, he was just thinking about who God was and all God had done for him. And he says, I don't know how that makes you feel, but I must give God the full response of my heart. I'm happy to be counted as a worshiper. Last passage. If you turn with me in Luke chapter 7. This account is, is written in another Gospel as well, but we're going to read it from here. Luke 7, verse 37. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment, and stood at, at His feet behind Him weeping, and began to wash His feet with tears, and to wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed His feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisees which had bidden Him saw it, He, he spake within Himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth Him. Of course, she's, she's a sinner. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he said, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. One owed 500 pence and another 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose he, that he to whom he forgave most. He said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. He turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thy house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman since the time that I came in hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil didst thou not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I say unto thee, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. But whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with, with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said unto the woman, Thy faith has saved thee. Go in peace. We all know that story, right? But you know what's, what's interesting? Nowhere in that scene, in that event, did you hear music you know, or anything like that taking place? But yet, it was a tremendous act of worship. Was it not? An act of worship unto the Lord in adoration, in voluntary honor, the, the lesser worshiping the greater, without doubt. And she worshiped the Lord. She worshiped her Savior. And God has called us to be that. He always called us to be worshipers. The Father seeketh such to worship Him. We're going to move on in the weeks ahead and get into worship in spirit and truth and so forth and talk about it. But I just believe that the Lord had this for us this morning just to get our minds upon the Lord about just in worship in general and the object of our worship and putting all the other stuff aside and setting Him up where He belongs. T. Austin Sparks always said when the end time is a time of declension is what he calls it and a time where the, the church or the, the individual believer is sort of regressing or backsliding or getting stale or cold. It happens, right? Anytime that that's taking place in a society, church, whatever, he said the, the answer is always to put Jesus back on the throne. Get Him back there. Get the focus off of we're talking about this or this mission trip and get it back on Jesus. And then everything will fall back in place where it's supposed to be. The heart will be warmed and, 
and fall back in love, so to speak, with the Lord. And He wants us to be worshipers. He'll take care of all the other things. He wants us to be worshipers. Dee, you can come. Y'all, the altar's open. I encourage you to, to, to pray. Would you pray with me? I'm praying this. Not just for this series, but I definitely want to do it during this series. That God would make us, bring us to a new place in Him. I'm not asking, nor is the Lord, for some fanaticism. Our praying for a deeper abiding, a deeper place of worship, a greater expression outwardly of our worship in our church services, in our home, in our private life. It's got to be not manufactured. Not say, repeat this after me, or sing this song a little louder, clap a little harder. We're praying that it comes from our hearts, a real worship back unto the Lord. Amen. He's worthy that we fall down before Him. Get back up again and fall down before Him. Worship the Lord as He would have us to. The altars are open. Find your place uh, to meet with the Lord. And while you're doing that, uh, I'm going to be reading a psalm that I thought would typify what we're talking about this morning as part of our altar time. Thank You, Jesus. Thank You, Lord. O God, Thou art my God. Early will I seek Thee. My soul thirsteth for Thee. My flesh longeth for Thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is, to see Thy power and Thy glory, so as I have seen Thee in the sanctuary. Because Thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise Thee. Thus will I bless Thee while I live. I'll lift up my hands in Thy name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise Thee with joyful lips. When I remember Thee upon my bed and meditate on Thee in the night watches, because Thou hast been my help, therefore in the shadow of Thy wings will I rejoice. My soul followeth heart after Thee. Thy right hand upholdeth me.